Let's open with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, I thank and praise Thee this day, Father, for being able to, not only, Father, to be able to praise Thy name, Father, but by Thy most Holy Spirit, Father, to be able to truly know the Lord Jesus Christ. And, Father, to be drawn out, Father, and to be preserved each and every day of my life, Father. And I just pray that You would send forth now, Father, by the grace of our most precious advocate and mediator, our, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Send forth thy Holy Spirit this day, Father, to each and every one that is gathered here. Send it forth unto thy remnant, Father. Endue thy people, I pray, Father, with thy most Holy Spirit, that we would understand thy word and seek thy face, Father, and be drawn ever unto thee, I pray. Amen. So, as I said, it's great to see everybody this lovely Sabbath morning. Now, is a young man pass out the worksheet, which I have worked hard to prepare for you. I ask that you all take one and await for instructions concerning it. As I said, the title of my lesson today is What If? What if you, what if I, what if our, what if they, what if it does and what if it does not? So, life is filled with what if. Now for you that want to fill out your worksheet, this is what you do. What if? What if? That's all this worksheet's about. What if? It's pretty simple. I was trying to keep it where even I could fill it out. All right. So, we've spent enough time on that. Now let's go ahead and unpack what exactly I was seeking to do with all of that. It's in Matthew 18.3, and I'll read this. It said, And said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted, and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. And we also have uh, got two more references here. Luke chapter 18, verse 17. And it says, Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall no wise enter therein. But my favorite one is Matthew 18, 4. And it causes you a lot of reflection. Whosoever, therefore, shall humble himself as this little child... The same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, for many times, I honestly believe, depending on what was done, if you, especially the really young children and everything, they are not going to be inhibited. They would all come up pretty excited. Once one of them starts coming up, most of them will come. And I believe the reason for that is they're not worried about what people might think. They truly aren't. They're not worried about what people might think. They're not concerned about their own reputation. They're just happy to be alive. And to them, it also looks like a very worthy adventure. Now, to an adult, it looks like a foolish waste of time. Or perhaps, as it was to Noah, a nightmare to some. So my question is, is why would Jesus ask us to become as a little child? Why would Jesus ask us to become as a little child? You see, I had no idea doing this spontaneously who would come up willingly, no matter how dreary of a picture I painted. And, and obviously because of the building that we're in and the reason that we are gathered here, one must contain themselves to not make it so dreary that no one would seek to come. But the children also weren't worried about if that would make it into the watchman or not, if Steve had his camera. The children just wouldn't, wouldn't be concerned about that. 
and I'm really hoping that hopefully the Holy Spirit will also erase Nathan's SD card. So, now I thank everyone for your patience, and, I, and I, as I said, I wish to make you to understand now that this was all just an illustration. It was just purely illustration. And as I said, that the children, they would not be inhibited. Silly, sign them up. And I bring a verse to mind is Mark 10, chapter 14. And that says, but when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for as such is the kingdom of God. We have to become like a child. Now, secondly, we have... From this example, we have 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29, which I'll read. And it says, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Now I called out to many this morning. I had ten men that I called out to. Now, not all of them came. Can't understand why, I mean... But perhaps they did, but perhaps some of them, it was the fear of humiliation, fear of mockery, or perhaps they're just here to rest. They don't want to get involved, and, and I understand that. Only they can answer the reason. And I, just like unbelievers, sought to convince them of definite humiliation. I sought to cause doubt. I wanted to discourage each and every one of them from coming up. I was saying, trust me, but I was showing, don't trust me. Yeah. <laughs> Matthew 22, verse 14, and I know we all know this one. For many are called and few are chosen. Yeah. Now, Matthew 22 is the parable of the wedding feast. Many people hear the call of God coming through the revelation of himself through creation, through their conscience, and the preaching of the word. But only the few will respond because they are the ones who are truly hearing. Now Jesus said many times, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And those references, if you desire to look them up, are Matthew eleven fifteen. They are Mark 4, 9. Luke 8, 8. And Luke 14, 35. The point is, is that everyone has ears, but only a few are listening and responding. Not everyone who hears their gospel receives it, but only the few who have ears to hear. Out of all the men that I asked to come up, there were some that would not come, did not come. God must draw the hearts of those who come, otherwise they will not. And I reference John 6. 44, no man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. So my point in that illustration was is that I called with just a general call. Not everybody came. So then I sought out a few to assure them, 
to bring him in. And with persuasion, they came. And as Noah demonstrated, not fully sure about that yet, but he came. I never commanded them to come. I mean, did I ever command any of you to come? I just said, I really need you. I really need you. You see, what I tried to show you, I guess you could reference also, is irresistible grace. I didn't give up on trying to draw you up to the front. I knew the reward, but none of you knew the reward. Had you all known fully what the reward was, who would not have come? And I sought nothing from you. You just had to come. You had to present yourself. You couldn't send your wife, your children. You yourself had to come. If you would turn to John 6, please. Now, I'm sure many of you are familiar with Charles Spurgeon. And this is how Spurgeon explained it. He said the general call of the gospel is like the common cluck of the hen, which she is always giving when her chickens are around about her. And for those of you that aren't familiar perhaps with chickens, it, they're constantly making noise. And it's a, it's a certain noise. It doesn't, when they change the pitches, then things happen. But it says, but if there is danger impending, then she gives a very peculiar call, quite different from the ordinary one. And the little chicks come running as fast as they can and hide for safety under her wings. That is the call we want. God's peculiar and effectual call to his own. The effectual call always secures its desired effect, and that is the salvation of God's own. God's sovereign call, Spurgeon affirmed, is far more powerful than any man's resistance. A man is not saved against his will, but he is made willing by the operation of the Holy Ghost. A mighty grace which he does not wish to resist enters into the man, disarms him, makes a new creature of him, and he is saved. This means that no one is beyond the saving power of God. Now, for those of you that have your Bibles open to John chapter 6, I'll be reading starting at John chapter 6, verse 62 through 68. What and if ye shall see the Son of Man descend up where he was before? It is the Spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not, and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you, that no man can come unto me, except it were given unto him of my Father. From that time many of his disciples went back, and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? And then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Now for a bit of contextual reference concerning these verses, 
when those that left, it was concerning they could not fully understand how they would partake of Christ's body and Christ's blood. Now, I also, if you would like to turn to John chapter 12, I would like to read into the record here, John chapter 12, verses 37 through 40. Because one of the biggest struggles that we have is, is that how could some not hear the call? And I think as I tried to show forth this morning, that some didn't perhaps completely hear the call because they didn't fully understand the reward. And that, I believe, is some of the purpose of, of the foolishness of preaching is seek to help men to understand. But then I also have to realize that then it would be given unto man the, the, uh, the acknowledgement. And then men would think that certain men, much like we've seen sometimes that they were baptized by Paul or baptized by Apollos, that they would think that that power then lied in the men. And I believe that is why God separated it out, that it is only by the Holy Spirit can any man's heart be ground to which be worked which Jesus Christ can even be acknowledged and entered John chapter 12 in verses 37 through 40 but though he had done so many miracles before them yet they believed not on him that the saying of Isaiah, or Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled which he spake Lord who hath believed our report and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed Therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, He hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. No man that I called today that did not come up cannot be angry at not receiving the gift. The call went out. The gift of salvation is never lost, I believe. It's always there like a concert ticket with no expiration. Amen. But as I sought to demonstrate and even had to persuade a little furrow with Noah, you have to pick it up. If you don't receive it, it's of no use to you. It benefits you nothing. Failure to do so is like the man without the wedding garment. And that's noticeable, very noticeable. If you go into somewhere and you're wearing pajamas and it's a black tie event, how many of you believe you'll get in? Yeah. Only at Walmart. <laughs> so the gift of salvation that each of us can receive should be noticeable in your life like a new wedding garment. If you would open to Titus 3, please. One of the biggest struggles that I had with my mother in speaking with her, and I know that we all do this, is we all ask ourselves, how can I be assured of salvation? How can I know? And I know Pastor and, and Reed have both had excellent lessons on this, so I'm not going to delve too much into this. But how do I know that I have the right wedding garment? And many won't wear it because it's not fashionable. In fact, it attracts attention that many don't want this name Christian. 
So I ask, is there anything noticeable in your life or about your life to others? Or do you just blend into whatever surroundings happen to be around you? So Titus chapter 3, and let's read verses 3 through 5, please. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, I'd like to stop here for a moment. But after that, after what? But after what? Back up to verse 3. Sometimes we were foolish. Today, some of you may be thinking that guy up there is all the time foolish. It's not true. Disobedient. We've been deceived. Some of us have been in, in churches that didn't teach the truth, didn't teach who you were and the importance of that truth. We've served different lusts and pleasures that we have. Most of what we do, a lot of times, the work that we do with our hands is seeking to achieve gains that please us. How much of that were we willing to sacrifice, perhaps spending time with God and doing His service versus trying to please ourselves? Living in malice and envy. Now, malice I looked up because... You have these thoughts in your head of what it is and such, but I, I wanted to get a broad spectrum, a multitude of counselors, shall we say, of what exactly that meant. And it is an intent to harm others is what malice is. You have an intent to harm others. You know, whether it's setting them up for a guaranteed fall so you can get the promotion at work. You know, whether it's uh, seeking to, believe it or not, I'm in the mechanical field. And there are some mechanics that will come into your shop and everything like that that are trying to become, uh, let's say, if you're, if you're the supervisor, lead tech, as, as they call it, and they will seek to sabotage your work so that they can get your job. You know, and I, I, can I have worked with men like that. Um, you know, and it's by God's grace, I've always been able to, to find or perhaps even, you know, you would be amazed how much sometimes, and I have learned in, in my life especially, because I didn't follow it at times or anything like that. When you feel an unction that you need to recheck something, check it. Yes. Because it, lug nuts can get loosened on you and, and all sorts of things. I mean, the deviousness that there is, the evil that there is, is very, is, it's all around you. And God will deliver his people through it. But you have to listen. You have to be, you have to be, well, number one, you have to listen. You have to know God's voice. And you have to be hateful and hating one another, as it says there. But after you get past all that, so obviously after that means that you're no longer walking that way. And I'm not trying to point out any, well, I could point out a few of it, I guess, but uh, I won't. But anyways, you, after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration. There's a change. Whenever you regenerate a battery, does it stay the same or is it actually renewed? I mean, regeneration means to renew something. 
to re, you know, kind of like when you recharge a battery, you're regenerating it. You're, you're making it good again. It's only done by our, our Heavenly Father and also the renewing of the Holy Ghost. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 3 also says, Wherefore I give you to understand that no man, speaking by the Spirit of God, calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. But in John chapter 15 verse 26, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And I love Romans chapter 8, verse 16. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if you would turn to Romans 8, please. The greatest work that we have concerning our lives and the Holy Spirit is the witness that we live. And I believe that those verses there make it quite clear that we absolutely have to be filled with the Holy Ghost or none of that comes, comes to be. And it's only by the Father's will that we can even know His Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. But how can we tell? Will all my hair grow back? Perhaps my teeth. God could use them. He could do that. I'm not denying God couldn't bring back all sorts of things. So. And some of us may be praying really hard about that. But that being said, that would not be significant to God. It would not be evidence of Him in me, would it? Instead, it could just be a nutritional correction, perhaps a testosterone deficiency, according to Saxon, poor circulation. In Romans chapter 8, verses 6 through 12, if you are there, let's read this. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither can it be, indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. And if you would turn to Galatians chapter 5, please. To have that witness that Christ is in us, 
that we are filled with the Holy Spirit will emanate in our desire not, not to live after the flesh. Now, a couple of questions now. Does that mean that I am vegan now and eat no meat? Or perhaps it is unlawful to raise cattle, sheep or goats. Now, if I believe that this book, my Holy Bible, is absolute truth, the words of God, I really should read it and heed it. But if I believe that it is merely a book of wise suggestions that evolve over time, as modern Christianity is seeking to teach us, I have verse Malachi, verse 3, verse 6 for them. For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. So Galatians chapter 5, if you would. Everybody is there. We'll start at verse 14 through 21. And what I would like to do is if all of us could read this together, please. And we'll begin, as I said, in verse 14, and we'll read to verse 21. All together now. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Shall not inherit the kingdom of God. How we live our lives is very important. And in verse 15, it says that if we bite and devour another to take heed, that we don't end up consuming ourselves. Now, I believe in verse 19, when it starts out here with the works of the flesh or manifest, which are these. Adultery is quite self-explanatory, I believe. Fornication, I believe, is pretty self-explanatory. Uncleanness, I believe, is pretty sad. Pretty self-explanatory. Lasciviousness. Now this one, I kind of broke down a little bit, studied some, and basically a good way to sum that up is it in a, it, lasciviousness is an extreme indulgence in sensual pleasures. Sensual, not sexual. Sensual pleasures. So then we go on to verse 20, and obviously we have idolatry. That's pretty self-explanatory. 
And we could really break that one down and you would be amazed at what we actually have that are truly are idols in our lives. Even can be the, the children or the wife that sits beside you. Your family can become idols. Witchcraft. And I think we have to remember, as Samuel told Saul, that you know, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft as well. So that, can, that could go in there. Hatred. Hatred. Well, that, that's, that kind of steps on a few of our toes and everything, because it is very easy sometimes to uh, become quite, have a lot of passion of uh, hatred towards someone. That's not good for your health. Variance. This one is, is, can really be expounded upon, so that's, that's what I'm, I'm going to expound upon this here a little bit. Because a lot of times, I don't know if you're like me, you can read over these words, and unless you really start penciling a bunch of stuff in, in, the, uh, in your Bible, or footnotes and such, and then if you get a new Bible, sometimes unless you're able to copy them all over, you lose things, you, you forget things. You know, and I, I appreciate a pastor, as he stated in, in his mini-sermon before we even began here, you know, considering uh, Luke. You know, that he was, a, he was a slave. You know, but he served as though he was a free man. So, so variance. And basically that is that it's a difference that produces dispute or controversy. Disagreement, dissension, discord. Seems pretty, pretty simple, basically. A difference that produces dispute or controversy. And it's very easy, especially amongst us Israel identity, to have something that will cause dispute or controversy between us. Now, emulations. Basically, this is a word that means ambition driven by envy. I'm going to have a bigger house than... Hmm, trying to think who's got the alert wheel. I'm going to have the biggest house. There we go. I'm going to have the biggest house. I like Mr. Rue's car, but I'm going to have one better. And that'll drive me. I'll work the hours. I'll stay away from the home and the family and everything like that to achieve that goal. Why? To what does it profit you to have a minivan? Like Mr. Rue's. My wife would love that, actually, though. I must admit, Rue. Chris. The point being is, is that you're seeking to keep up with the Joneses, is what that means. Ambition driven by envy. It can cause you to not to come to church. It can cause you not to come to fellowship with anyone or anything because you're driven by an ambition because of the envy that you see others have that you want. Um, you know, contentment. You know, Paul spoke of that, of having contentment. No matter what struggle he was in, he managed to find contentment. Being chained to a, to a guard and, and having to be... Nothing in your life is your own decision, not even what you eat, where you sleep, if you get to use the bathroom or not. But he was content. And I don't know for all of you, but that is one of the biggest things that I struggle with in my life. Uh, for those of you that may have, a, as they term it, a visionary aptitude, uh, it's very easy to be discontent because you're always looking to improve upon something. Or that, you know... Infomercials are not a good thing for me to watch because obviously what they have is better than what I got. So, wrath, simple enough, extreme anger, strife, seditions. 
Now, seditions is basically what our dear President Trump was accused of, basically, and that is uh, an uproar or an insurrection. And what I'd like to land on here is a word that may surprise some of you. It surprised me, heresies. Now, for many of us, when we speak of heresy, we think of a doctrinal issue that is incorrect. But in actuality, and where this is used, it has a bit of a different context to it. The Greek word heresis, that is translated heresy, or as plural, heresies, is Strong's Concordance G139, for those of you that love that kind of geeky stuff. And it's in Acts 24.14, it's in 1 Corinthians 11.19, Galatians 5.20, of which is where we land, and 2 Peter 2.1. And it means dissensions. So what are dissensions? Dissensions are conflicts or violent arguments. Conflicts or violent arguments arising from a diversity of opinions and aims. A disunion. But most importantly, it's someone who causes division. And the New Testament warns Christians to be watchful against those who teach lies for the express purpose of pulling believers apart, causing discord among brethren God truly hates. Envyings. So what is that? Envyings. It's to want what belongs to somebody else. Murders. I don't think we need a demonstration there. Drunkenness. Revelings. Now I know in the in the verse in the past, uh, lasciviousness dealt with uh, sensual pleasures. Revelings has to do basically a, a polite way of putting it as wild sexual partying, is what that is speaking of, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I'm not seeking to scare anyone or anything like that. I'm thinking, oh my, I fall under one of these. I'm not going into the kingdom of heaven. There's warnings. My job is to, is to warn each of us, myself included, to not forget that how I conduct my life, these things matter. If you could turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, please. And we'll, we'll look at this a little bit. 2 Peter chapter 1, please. And as I said, in reflection there upon Galatians 5, are we doing any of these things ourselves? Are we, are we flirting with the chance of not being able to uh, inherit the kingdom of God? So, are you growing in the Lord Jesus Christ? John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, I know for the children and everything, they may think that none of these verses really are necessarily make much sense to you. And, and that's a great thing to not have some of the, the troubles that some of the rest of us may have had in our lives. But the important thing about it is, is even as a, as a youth and such, one can still be born again. 
And basically, I mean, you, as a youth, one of the childish things that we war against is, is lying and tattletaling and, and seeking to cause, uh, well, seditions. I don't know of you that have very many children, but I can guarantee you that ours like to cause an uproar or an insurrection. <laughs> it's common. I mean, there's a lot of these in Galatians 5 that truly can be applied even to children, and that's our job as parents, and that's why we're not supposed to spare the rod, but yet we're also supposed to show the, the Christ-like love that our Heavenly Father has for us in seeking to guide and direct them so that they too can inherit the kingdom of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it states this, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. So if you've turned to 2 Peter, what I'd like to do is I'll read verses 1. Oh, I'm sorry, we're in 2 Peter chapter 1. I'll read verses 10 through 11. Wherefore the brethren, wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, the clear command is to make your calling and election sure. Now, the NIV puts it this way, to make every effort to confirm your calling and election. You see, a believer's calling is God's drawing him to salvation. Much like I did with those men this morning. Some of them I had to speak a little louder to, and some of them, even when I got them up here, I still had to seek to convince them to take it. Peter alludes to this calling earlier in the same chapter when he speaks of God who called us by his own glory and goodness. And that's referencing verse 3 there in 2 Peter chapter 1. Now, a believer's election is God's selection of him to be saved from before time began. And the doctrine of election and predestination is taught elsewhere in the Bible too. And you can reference if you'd like, if you don't already have these, it would be Romans 8, 28, or 8, 29, and 30. Ephesians 1, 5. We also have verse 11 in Ephesians 1. Colossians 3, verse 12. And 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 4. And 2 Timothy 2, verse 10. And I'm sure everybody was able to write all those down real quick like, weren't you? <laughs> God is the one who calls and elects. So the believer's calling and election are already sure from God's point of view. He's not wringing his hands worried. He's already sure of who he's called, who he's elected. Therefore, the command for believers to diligently make their calling and election sure must refer to the believer's point of view. God wants us to have assurance of our salvation. And the best way to do that is by pursuing godly virtues and actively growing in the Christian life. I had to really assure Noah that there was no fine print, that there was no hidden slap upside the head to get him to receive the gift. And many of us are like that. 
Now, 2 Peter 1, verses 5 through 7, it lists the godly qualities that believers should add to their faith. And let's look at those. In 2 Peter chapter 1, you're already there, verses 5 through 7, we have the virtues that are listed. And I'll read those. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith, add to your faith. Without faith, none of this begins. Add to your faith, virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. You see, those qualities are these things of verse 10. When verse 10 references these things, give diligence to make your calling election sure, for if you do these things, these are the things that are spoken of there. And in doing these things, as we reference verse 11, we will never stumble, and it is promised that we will get a rich welcome into the kingdom, eternal kingdom. Now, on the surface, 2 Peter chapter 1 seems to affirm that one's salvation depends on listing the, on having the qualities listed in verses 5 through 7. Now, what I would like you to do is to inspect it a little closer, and you'll realize that it becomes apparent that Peter is addressing those who already have faith. They already have faith, which he lists as the first, and it is the most foundational quality. Now, also, Peter presumes that some of those who did not demonstrate these qualities had, in fact, been saved. For whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. And that's in 2 Peter 1, 9. So, being cleansed from past sin does not automatically mean that a person grows in goodness knowledge, etc. But if he doesn't possess these qualities in increasing measure, and which is found in verse 8, he is spiritually nearsighted and forgetful of God's grace. Much like when it speaks of those who will teach the law, being great in the kingdom of heaven, and those that not teach the law will be least. They're still saved. And if we could turn back, let's turn back to Galatians chapter 5, please. And we'll read verses 22 through 26. In Galatians chapter 5, now, if you're experiencing a feeling of heaviness, I would say don't despair. Because this day, perhaps even the may be the day that the Holy Spirit is working salvation in your life. So let's look at the fruits that should be evident and growing in our lives. And if you would reflect on 2 Peter, it said that whenever we had certain things that we were to add. I'll just read that here. It says, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to patience. 
We are all growing Christians. You never reach the summit. Never reach the summit. I may have a title and perhaps be called to stand before you today, but my prayer is that it's not my words, but the Holy Spirit speaking through me that perhaps is something that God has called forth to use in someone's life to speak unto their heart, to change their life, to call them to truly live out their life unto Christ. So in Galatians chapter 5, and we're in verses 22 through 26, but that the spruited... Obviously, that's not the correct wording there. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Peace. Even the world is seeking that. Peace. And it can only come through the Spirit. Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. Meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. They sound very easy, but they're very difficult. Especially if you are in a church body. Satan doesn't use those that are without to seek to destroy your faith. He'll use those that are within. And why would he do that? What's more effective, your own family or someone else's family? In summary, to make one's calling and election sure is to live out the Christian life in the power of the Holy Spirit. It is to do more than simply pay lip service to Christ. Now those who profess salvation, but never grow in their walk with God, will suffer a lack of assurance always. And you will. You will suffer a lack of assurance. Why? Because anyone reads, hears, knows, the laws are written on your heart. You know the will of God. It's your free will, the decision to follow Him. And in following Him, that gives you assurance. And that assurance is knowing that Jesus Christ died for my sins, my salvation. I have earned nothing. I didn't deserve it. I can't ever deserve it. It is a gift that is beyond, has no price. When I realize what Christ does for me, it will change the way that I respond to each and every one of those around me. The words that I speak, the thoughts that I think, because aren't we, pastors even had lessons here recently, even I don't remember if it's Wednesday night or it's been at the Sabbath, where basically we're to take every thought captive. That's hard. Becoming a Christian doesn't solve all your problems. It only gives you by the grace of God, the ability to withstand them. Everybody's boat gets buffeted on the water. Everybody gets tossed to and fro and mixed up. But we have confidence that Jesus Christ will truly calm the waters if we merely hang on.
Those who grow ever more like Christ will be sure of their calling and election. You will know that you have eternal life. And you can reference 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 if you'd like. You will be the living testimony of the power of God to change lives. Men, it begins with us. What if we loved our wives as Christ loved the church? Have you ever really thought about what that means? That can be really hard. But if we love our wives as Christ loved the church, that is what the world will also view as what Christ's love is for his people, the church. What if we walked the paths of righteousness? Remember, what if, what if? Life's full of what ifs. What if our children could only believe what our words and our deeds and our actions taught? Would that help them to see Christ? Are you showing Christ forth in your life? Does our daily living witness speak of Jesus Christ or not? And let us be mindful of the brethren that perhaps aren't quite as far in their walk as we are and show compassion and help them up when they're down and seek to truly show brotherly love. And if you'll notice in 2 Peter, that's one of the last things that's truly spoken of and reached because quite honestly, you have to get all of these other items in order before you can truly understand brotherly love. And I'm not saying that I do. What if? I thank you for your kind attention to this day. And I really pray that Jehovah will send his Holy Spirit upon each and every one of us gathered here today and all of our extended families and those that are unable to have made it this day. May, may God have mercy on us all, I pray. Thank you.